Monster Eater by Dave Greggs, as read by the author. Ramek lay in an ocean of bliss. There was nothing but wet golden green light and a feeling of oneness with a loving infinity. Ramek noticed that he could think. He thought of what might exist besides the light. He remembered the world of darkness and stone. He tried to preserve the perfection of his feeling, but gradually it fell away. Who was he? He was a warrior climber of Kalas Da, a place deep beneath the earth. He winced and remembered tumbling down giant rocks, invisible in the absolute darkness. When he tried to move, his bones had scratched bones and dug into his flesh. He remembered that his companions had wrapped him in chains, slung him underneath them, and carried him across the chasm walls to Kalas Da. The cold was absolute. The winds gripped him while his heartbeat grew soft and muted. Frost gathered on the links, but sweat nearly slipped him free of them. The climbers had brought him above Kalistar. Their home was on the white hide of a subterranean whale. This had been stretched over a frame which projected from the chasm's face. There were dozens of fur folding ledges shadowing the wall around Kalistar, hanging tents like the folding wings of bats. Families and confraternities filled them with their warmth. Kalista was lit every thirty seconds by a cascade of magma, which fell from a flue in the roof of the cavern and into the chasm below. Ramek heard whispers from the whale skin. When the magma fell past him, it bathed them in blessed heat. He could see people sitting in parallel lines for warmth on the surface of Kalista. Then darkness came with the passing of the magma. There was only agony in the clinking of chains. Then the magma came again, and he saw people standing in clusters, gazing up at the climbers, whispering across each other's breaths. The climbers took him down past Kalasta and into a chamber where a vast stalagmite touched the wall of the chasm. It was a sacred place of molten green light. Lime-colored fur broke through the black stone in patches like irregular eyes. When the men brought Ramek's broken body through the smooth staircase, the little green islands began to weep out a viscous tincture. The men unfurled him, his flesh cut and bruised by the black chains, and laid him in a piquant wallow, which was developing from a patch of green. They backed away from the glowing pools and ascended from the chamber, whispering a prayer. He felt the water bubble with pinpricks and then fall still. It wormed its way into his eyes and nostrils, gently. He held his peace with the ensuing panic, then relaxed. The wellspring overtook him with a blessed oneness. He then awoke from his inquiry. He was being jerked upwards by the spider-skin band around his neck. He was inside the mantle of the green fungus. Knuckles scraped his Adam's apple. Another jerk, and then the sodden band tore away from his neck. Someone was trying to pull him free. Ramek leaned his face through the wet mat of the fungus. He broke the surface and saw the smooth, conical ceiling of the grotto. He tried to breathe. He felt a stab in his brain and he blew out a splash of perfumed water. There was a shaded figure kneeling beside Ramek. He had translucent skin. There wasn't a dollop of red in his body. Ramek could see the man's organs beneath his black cloak. Just their outlines. His eyes glowed, pupilless and incandescent, like twin moons. The man was named Istath, a seer of Kalasta. Ramak knew him only by the thin, silvery runes. 
which danced like mollusks gossamer across his back. I was the only seer who didn't despair about you, said Azdath with some satisfaction. I might be right before too long. Appreciate the confidence, Azdath. You may still wish you were down there, but someone's been asking about you. Well, I hope you relayed my best wishes. You can do it. I told her I was coming. She's waiting above. You are a seer. Ramek pulled himself free of the algal muck and onto the dry, warm stones where Istath was kneeling. Ramek paused and looked into the glowing suns of Istath's eyes, which hung suspended in a rainbowed skull of gelatin. Ramek put a hand on Istath's silica silk cloak for a moment, then ascended the dusty staircase. The cold of the vault took him like a sudden plunge. He looked around and saw a pair of eyes glittering over a ledge of jet, reflecting the lime-green light of the shrine. It was Shimthri. Ramek loved her. He moved through the darkness, smiling as the wind chilled his nose, feeling his way across the familiar stone, one of a thousand paths that marked the ways to and from Kalistah, like braille against the feet. He placed his hands onto the charcoal-dark stone and began to climb. Don't fall, he grinned. He knew she said it to see if he'd get angry. She loved it when he didn't. Would you come for me? He said as he pulled himself over the ledge. Just to drape my arms on my lover's broken body. One last chance in each other's arms. He pulled her close. Now you make me want to fall, she said. He held her tight. The underworld was as cold, hard, vast, and impersonal as a dead god. An embrace was warmth, and with warmth, life. A loving embrace was manifest divinity. It was a holy counterweight to the cold cruelty of their world. It didn't end with an embrace. She exhaled through her nostrils. Her breath played across his chest. He got the gingerbread scent of her hair. She ran her fingers down his climber's back. He put his arms around her shoulders and encompassed her. She brought her nose up and they kissed. Her tongue played across his teeth. She put her feet on his. Climb with me, said Ramak. Anywhere, she said. Ramek led her across the face of a titanic outcropping of stone, which rose above and below them like a black iceberg in an invisible sea. Its contours fell into shadow as they moved away from the shrine, but they knew the path, and this particular symphony of handholds filled them with heart-quickening anticipation. It was clear from Ramek's first step where they were going. He began to lead her up a tall crack in the cavern's wall, which terminated far beneath the chasm's ceiling in a standing arch. There was something hidden invisibly in the roof of the crack. It was a piece of the web of a giant chasm spider. Ramek had stolen it away from a giant spider's nest out of sheer lustful bravado, wanting something unique to win Shimthri's eye. Now it belonged to both of them, a soft hammock far from the prying eyes of their families. She took the lead and began to climb above him. Her skin glowed like a reflection on dark water and Ramek watched her move with anticipation. They crested a sharp outcropping and entered the giant crack to the fault line's apex, and all light from the shrine fell away. He couldn't see her, but he could feel the faintest warmth on the handholds as he climbed, and when he paused, he could smell her on his hands. Finally, they reached the spider web. It was supple as silk, only keeping its stickiness where Ramek had wet a few of its tips. Shim three hung on the wall beside him. Ramek ran his hand through her hair, then reached out and tugged on the spider web. It held fast to the ceiling. He reached out his other hand, grasped the smooth, ropey strand, and let his feet fall from the wall. He dangled, looking into the infinite blackness, 
so distant that he didn't know where it terminated, and so close that he couldn't see his own nose. He pulled himself up into the web and rolled across it into its center. Jim three leapt from the wall between a pair of chasm spider silk strands and rolled down into the center with him. Their bodies were warm from the climb but chilled by the wind, and she threw her leg over him and held his face, putting a nose to his. He slid his hands behind her ears and beneath her hair, feeling the warmth like it was a hanging home of Kalasta. He threw himself over her, gripping the spiderweb with one hand, sliding his other around a cradle her head. He bit her nose, and she licked his chin. His head fell past her neck, and he sank his teeth into her shoulder. Their bodies felt hot as magma as they pressed them together in the void, and as they kissed and caressed each other, the spiderweb took on an ethereal glow. It illuminated Ramek and Shimthri's eyes and cheeks to one another. Ramek felt every moment in which he'd known Shimthri, through both her childhoods and adolescences, the girl she'd been and the woman she was. She looked up at him, her face a ghostly lavender, her eyes black and shining. I love you, she said. I love you too. They kissed and Ramek's body surged. He grabbed her breasts and her rear, and she ran her hands up and down him. He undid her garment, pressed her thighs back, and plunged in. They gave a mutual gasp. He got his feet on a pair of spiderweb strands and made love to her with abandon. She clasped him around the shoulders and he bound her, arms and all, into his chest and held her there, looking into her eyes as the spiderweb glowed brighter and brighter around them. They reached a fever pitch, moving in unison, and the spiderweb gleamed like tamed lightning. Ramek struck deep as she kissed his neck and clawed him, when suddenly one of the strands gave way with a lurch. It snapped from its place on the ceiling, and Ramek and Shimthri tumbled sidelong in a cascade of horror. The spiderweb whipped past Ramek's eyes for an instant, and he threw his arm between two strands, which hooked him with a jerk. He clawed at Shimthri, screaming her name, and then bounced free of his armhold. He raked his hands across the webs, catching himself with burning fingers. He felt Shimthri pass through the strands beneath him. Her wail filled the arch. He looked down, heart racing beyond differentiation, but all he could see was the bone-white spiderweb and a single strand of Shimthri's hair. Ramek reached Kalasta from below. He didn't want to be seen coming alone. He gazed up as the great cantilevered whale hut glowed and then gleamed as a pillar of magma fell past it. There were happy whispers, greetings, and the smell of aquatic meat. Someone had returned from the hunt. Ramek had a pit in his heart, and he hung from the rock for a long time before he moved up for the hanging ledge in which Istath the seer resided. It was made of pale feathers. Ramek climbed up to its side, and saw an ephemeral glow come alive within, as Istath dropped the hood of his black cloak, exposing his burning eyes to the substrata of reality. You return alone to Kalista. Istath, do you know? What's happened is clear. Sit before your knees give out. Ramek gripped a seam in the feathers and stepped off the wall, placing his foot on the wicker of avian bones that made up the floor of Istath's lodge. There was a pile of cave sable fur, which Istath indicated to Ramek. I've destroyed the only thing I ever cared about. The only one I held divine besides our mother. Her dreams, my dreams, her father's dreams. There aren't enough curses under the earth for my... any punishments due to me. Your morals and your care are certainly nothing special, nor is your recklessness. Would that we lost our people only to beasts, foes of the shifting of the earth. No, there are stupid accidents. She was going to be my wife. Nothing will be until it has been. Melamast has just returned from the hunt. He's provisioned us richly, but he's saving the tale of the beast for his daughter. 
A tear fell from Ramek's eye. He'll kill me, and I'll deserve it. But what'll that help? Maybe I could just tell him she fell. You insult them both by lying. Tell the story they'll believe. Then what must happen will happen, and fate won't become blocked up here. Ramek was silent. Show your courage or step off this platform into the open air. Yes, it's death. I'll tell him. Ramek knelt on the whale skin, feeling soft, thick fibers of flesh with his fingertips. Melamas knelt between a pair of torches, consecrating the furry hide of an arctic snake, which he trapped by melting the skin of a magma tube. He spread his hands across the fur, and people of Kalastan knelt forward in the torchlight, reaching forth for this new source of warmth in the underworld. Ramek looked down, heart in his throat. He looked up at Melamast, whose great legs and knees caught the torchlight. I bring tidings. Oh? Melamast. Shimthri's fallen. Melamast's hands spread upon the fur as if he'd been stabbed from behind. Those kneeling around the fur darted glances at Ramek and didn't look away. You worm, he said hoarsely. What did you do? We climbed and took refuge in a net I'd hung. Melamast leapt forward across the fur, which bunched up beneath him, and he fell short. Istath and another seer named Blessy stepped up to either side of Ramak, and a few people fell on Melamast's legs. They were almost kicked free as he clawed his way forward. You careless little rat! I'll kill you if I had to pull myself from Shimthri in the sun! I'm so sorry. It was an accident. I loved her, too. You didn't care, and you don't know love! You're rescued, and the first thing you do is kill my daughter! I submit myself to your will. Not yet, you haven't. Melamast, said Istath, do not pollute this cavern with manslaughter. It's already stained with my blood. The ones who'd held Melamast's legs were now kneeling around him with their arms across his back and shoulders. Yes, but not with intention. I've looked into the depths behind and below. Ramak and Shimthri were reckless together. It is simply chance that Ramak returned, and not Shimthri. This was not his design nor did he save himself out of cowardice. Very well. I will not pollute this place with manslaughter. But you, Ramek, you have stained it. You pollute it. Oh, how can we live near each other? Tell me, Sears. Only Ramek can tell you that, said his death. There was a silence. You need not worry about that, Melamast. It's said that when one falls into the pit below... Their soul rises up towards the snowy dark beyond the surface of the world, but must linger for some time by the gates of soil, before departing for a great prison in the sun. I will go and find her there. I will bring her home. Melamast glared at Ramek, then said, You speak of things beyond your comprehension, but you'll be gone if you follow your design. And I agree to this. Do not return empty-handed and provoke me in my grief. I will not return without her, and I will grieve too, father. Be gone. Ramek knelt in the shrine of the world fungus. His hair hung down over his face and reached towards the glowing green mantle beneath him. The cavern quaked gently from time to time, as if there was something moving far beneath the chamber. Istath and Belissi stood by his shoulders, their eyes glowing in the darkness. The fingers of God stretch forth from the deep. Blessed is the meeting place, said his staff. 
The warmth comes, things grow. The warmth feeds us, said Balesi, our umbilical magma and the waters of the world fungus. Ramek knew the bliss of the fungus. He knew that in the green mantle beneath them, there were heroes of Kalasta who lay submerged until they were needed. He knew what it was to walk in the glowing lime green softness in the black. He hated to leave it, cold and alone. His staff swept around before Ramek, his robe of woven ethercap fur brushing the dried green beneath. Ramek looked up into the glowing orbs that were suspended in his nigh-invisible face. His staff was carrying a staff of stone. It was petrified world root with a disk of spiral troglodyte held between the branches. This alone would be a mighty weapon, but his staff lowered it gently to pass a benediction upon Ramek. He brushed against Ramek's pointed nose while Balesi anointed Ramek with a lacquer of fish scale, which hardened on his forehead. Treat her to your child, who passes from the sacred deep like one cast from a womb. We beg you arm him as a mighty emissary, which befits you of such magnitude that passes even beyond the earth. The room warmed, and hot springs gushed forth in utter darkness. Even the eyes of the seers were snuffed out for an ineffable moment. Then there was a cherubic glow as the fungus rose in blooming curls around them. The lichen crept up the golden walls amidst tufts of glowing white. The shrine was now as warm and bright as a nest of fire. Ramek knelt in the sacred blue ichor, the warm waters rising around him. The soft tincture of Ramek's god made its way up his body. It worked its way into his eyes like tears returning to their maker, flooding everything he knew. The water blackened his vision, but gradually he saw a light like a fire in a distant hollow. It drew nearer until he beheld a vast matrix of towers and sky bridges hanging free in an abyss. The structures were glowing red and gold, and he felt them ache with millions of souls revolving around an ineffable malevolence at the megastructure's core. Then Ramek's vision drew back, and he saw majestic promenades, which were cut into caverns beneath and surrounding the place. He saw them thronged by travelers from ten thousand holds, all dressed in skins and organ flesh from glittering Stygian beasts, driving trains of cargo on great bristled flatworms, or on teams of slaves, or on the silvery clockwork skeletons of slaves. Then Ramek saw these passages flushed with magma, slaying everyone within. From the great red tower came a wave of mirth. Then the water fell away. He looked over his shoulder at the seers, and they were examining him closely. A sediment tide had crept through the water as it consumed him, and when it washed away he was clad in a carapace of hard lichen. He touched the surface of the armor, and realized that something lay beneath it, a layer of something like eel skin, which warmed him in spite of the cooling water. He noticed that there were tiny bars of wet, gray agglomerate sitting on the fungus between his knees. The seers knelt and gazed at these with their glowing eyes. Manna from beneath, said Blessy. A rare gift as rare as this armor. Ramek had heard tales of the ingots. They were hyper-concentrated arcane bacteria pulled by the deity from rock for leagues around. This was the food of the god, presented to mortals only for journeys of the greatest privation and danger. What does the world fungus expect him to find? Balesi said to Istath. Even I cannot see, for something does not wish me to. I hope you've enjoyed Monster Eater Chapter 1. Uh, I've got about four chapters written so far, and 
given that it takes place in the most food-deprived place on Earth, namely in Earth, it lives up to its title. <laughs>